Welcome back. This is, I guess, I mean, technically this is still the Rotosauce podcast, but what what it really is today is the two quarterback experience, the two QB experience, the two QB XP. How many different names can I come up with for this show, Sal? What do you think? Well, as long as you put the word goat in there somewhere, then we're all good. This is the goat two quarterback podcast. Everybody knows <laughs> that. And yeah, so Sal and I decided to come out of hiatus here to record something just to give a little state of the two QB universe podcast. And we're going to keep it pretty loose. We don't have like a hard and fast agenda. Uh, Basically, we're just winging it. And I'm probably not going to put a whole lot of editing work into this. If there are going to be future shows here on Rotosauce slash 2QBXP, I think this is going to be the MO. Like this is going to be the the easygoing fun show. How, How does that sound, Sal? I mean, it, it sounds right up my alley. If I was the one editing this podcast, I would just put an intro, put the audio file in there, an outro, and done. I wouldn't even edit anything in the actual episode. Well, we'll see how that goes. You might inspire me to do the same. But yeah, man, I mean, this this week in fantasy football was crazy. I, I tweeted this out yesterday. Like, this is one of the most important two quarterback waiver runs I think we're going to see all year just because there's so many moving pieces, so many injuries, benchings all these different replacement quarterbacks coming up out of the woodwork and guys that we can speculate on as well. It seems like the craziest possible scenario. And uh, how are you sorting through it? I know that you play in exactly one fantasy football league this year and it's super flex, of course. Uh, What were you doing in Scott Fishbowl uh, with your waivers this week? I didn't even make any waiver wire claims because I decided to draft all the quarterbacks in Scott Fishbowl. <laughs> I drafted uh, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Alex Smith. So I, as long as none of those guys get hurt, I'm set all year. The only downside to that is Frank Gore is my number one running back. I mean, is that a downside? For the age, the ageless Frank Gore? No, I mean, he's putting up fancy points, so that helps. Um, like... I mentioned this uh, on our 444 Slack one day. I'd actually thought about drafting Gardner Minshew with the very last pick in the Scott Fishbowl, but I decided to go with my heart and take Alex Smith instead. Um, if I was any good at fantasy football, I would have obviously dropped Alex Smith <laughs> after week one and picked up a different uh, quarterback like Gardner. And this week we have our options. Uh, when we got uh, Daniel Jones is now a starter. Uh, Mason Rudolph is now a starter. Um, Luke Falk is now a starter. Um, Kyle Allen might be starting. Uh, who else am I missing? Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is going to be starting. Like I said, it's a, an insane week for the quarterback position, and no one really asks me fantasy football questions on Twitter anymore, but this week I was kind of bombarded with, like, which of these backup quarterbacks should I spend my um, fab money on in two quarterback and superflex leagues? And I, I don't want to give a basic answer because it's just so hard. Every league has different settings. Every roster construction is different. But it feels like one of those weeks where if you have all your fab money left and you're desperate for quarterback help, it might be time to empty out that uh, that chamber. Yeah, I got a lot of the same sorts of questions. I mean, a lot of the times it was you and I tagged together or uh, <laughs> you know the 2QB's account tagged, which I'm, I'm basically uh, answering all the questions on that. And I, I totally agree with your sentiment that it really depends on your league and your roster. Like, who are your current quarterbacks? What type of backup quarterback do you want to add? Because if you want somebody who's going to be good for just the next few weeks to cover maybe somebody who has a bye in week six, then you might want Teddy Bridgewater over Mason Rudolph. But if you're looking at quarterbacks who have bye weeks in week 12, like maybe you have Kyler Murray, 
that means you're going to want somebody who's going to be a starter at that point in the season to cover that buy, and that means you might want Mason Rudolph over Teddy Bridgewater. As I said before, there are just so many other you know speculative things going on here. Like even with Bridgewater, there are reports that he's on a short leash for Taysom Hill, right? And so if you spend a bunch of fab on Teddy Bridgewater and he goes out and he underperforms this week and then gets benched for Taysom Hill, like man, that could just ruin your season, couldn't it? Oh yeah, definitely, and that's why I think you should grab Taysom Hill instead of Teddy Bridgewater for much less of the fab budget. Right. So I was giving out most of my advice before that report came out. Uh, so I was saying, oh, yeah, you know, Mason Rudolph, Teddy Bridgewater, and if Gardner Minshew is still available, like those guys are all pretty equivalent in my mind because they'll have some up weeks, they'll have some down weeks, and most of them, and all three of them in theory are going to be starters for most of the rest of the year. Week three hasn't even started. And no, five teams are already going to have a different quarterback under center than the one they started with in week one. Might be six depending on uh, Cam Noon's injury status. That doesn't even include Andrew Luck's retirement in the beginning of the season. The Jets are going to be starting their third quarterback in three weeks. No, we'd always hear those complaints that no, there's just not enough quarterbacks to go around in Superflex or two quarterback leagues. But just look at the mayhem at the position three weeks in. And we've seen in years past, like last year, there's 54 different starting quarterbacks in the 2018 season. You might be tempted to like blow all your fab, and like I mentioned before, the situation might call for it, but there's going to be more quarterbacks that you're going to be looking at in the upcoming weeks as well, so you have to also think about that. And when it comes to fab, for me, it's almost kind of like a, a game theory aspect, because especially when it comes to newer people to the format who are just navigating their first go-around in like the waiver wire system in two-quarterback or Superflex League, they might see that you know the the roster of an opponent has you no know, Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees as their quarterbacks, and they're like, well, I should get you know Teddy Bridgewater and Mason Rudolph before they do, even though they might already be set at the quarterback position. So there's just so much that goes into <laughs> figuring out what to do at quarterback when it comes to waivers and two quarterback and super flex leagues. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I mean, I'm just looking through some of the waiver wires for my teams and it looks like in one of my leagues with the $100 budget Mason Rudolph went for 42 Teddy Bridgewater went for 43 uh, but then you know after that somebody picked up Taysom Hill for free off of you know <laughs> the free agency pool and th- there's no there was no claim made for Luke Falk nothing happened with the I mean Daniel Jones was already owned but nothing happened with uh, Cam Newton's backup Kyle Allen so even if you miss on the big name quarterbacks who are coming up you might still be able to find a solution for this week and who knows like you know it's unlikely that you know cam newton is going to be out the whole year but i mean we saw what happened with andrew luck right cam newton right now is being reported as a foot injury but he had the same shoulder problem that andrew luck had right and so we don't know exactly how much that's also factoring into this because he hasn't looked great throwing the ball either uh, I mean, we, we've seen him struggle a little bit through the first two weeks, so maybe there's more going on there than we know, and we'll never know. You know what I mean? Maybe not until the end of the year, but th- this is something where, yes, even if you miss out on Bridgewater and Rudolph and Daniel Jones and Gardner Minshew, you might just pick up Kyle Allen for nothing and have him end up starting for you for multiple weeks. Like, that, that, that can happen. Yeah, or even if you just... Like if everything goes well for Cam Newton, he comes back next week and you just pick up Kyle Allen for this week, 
you know, you have a, a decent one week streamer who in his only start last year was QB. He had like a top 10 quarterback performance, I believe. Yeah. He put up, he put up 25 fantasy points last week. You know, I'm not saying that Kyle Allen's going to put up 25 fantasy points this week if he starts, but against the Cardinals, get maybe like get 15, 20 points from a guy you pick up off the waivers for a week that at the end of the year, that might be one of the reasons you make the playoffs. I don't know. Against the Cardinals, I could see it. Like 20-plus fantasy points from Kyle Allen is not out of the realm of possibility. Um, let, let's – I mean, we've talked about all these guys who are coming up this week. We haven't even mentioned, you know, other potential quarterbacks who could be benched, right? What, why don't we dig into that a little bit? Because I – I mean, you put this on our little agenda, and I was surprised at how many names I came up with. I came up with <laughs> seven different guys who I expected might be benched by the end of this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the the one thing I an astute observer of the quarterback position in two quarterbacks for flex leagues should always be looking three, four, five, six, seven weeks in advance, just because of how much turnover turnover is at the position. You mentioned seven guys. I probably could have come up with a deeper list if I thought about it. I only had four guys on my list who I think are in danger of being benched right now. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think that's kind of an obvious one for Josh Rosen. Top of my list, yep. Yeah. Uh, I got Joe Flacco. I think, uh, I don't know, you look at the depth chart, they have Brandon Allen and then Brett Ripon on the practice squad. Um, I don't see Washington doing that great this season. So Casey Keenum has, is always in danger of possibly being benched for the rookie Dwayne Haskins. And then the this is a, a quarterback I actually get a few questions about every once in a while on Twitter is Mitch Trubisky just based on his f- performance the first two weeks. And you look at their depth charts, Daniel Chase backing up, and then Tyler Bray on the practice squad. Yeah, the problem there is that Chase Daniel looks more like a coach or an offensive coordinator <laughs> than a quarterback. Like I just I don't see them moving on from Trubisky this year unless he's just atrociously bad. And I think that part of the struggles early in the season, not just with Trubisky, but with a lot of these guys, is just rust and uh, lack of playing time in the preseason. You know, by week three, week four, I think Trubisky will look a little bit better. Uh, I think that's going to be the case for a lot of players, not just quarterbacks. Uh, So I'm not too worried about him yet, just because as a franchise, they have so much invested in him and they have so little to back him up, you know, in terms of, you know, Chase Daniel, Tyler Bray. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the concern there is legitimate. Like Trubisky has been bad uh, and he's been bad in prominent situations like opening night. That's that's always a bad look uh, when, when your quarterback just plays like like garbage. But yeah, I I I didn't even have Joe Flacco on my list, Sal. That just shows how like scatterbrained I was this morning. But so so tick my list up to eight, right? Uh, so we have Trubisky, we have Fitzpatrick, we have Case Keenum, we have Flacco. How about Marcus Mariota? Because he hasn't looked good to open the year either. I mean, he's throwing touchdown passes, but he hasn't been very efficient. He's dealing with a minor quad injury or something like that right now. Which I mean, he's going to play this week. But I could see a scenario where he gets benched eventually for Ryan Tannehill. Jameis Winston, you know, his uh, draft class buddy, uh, also has struggled to start the year. He looked a little bit better in week two. uh, But the issue with Winston is kind of the same one with Trubisky. Are they really going to bench Winston for Blaine Gabbert or Ryan Griffin? I don't see it. But it is a possibility. And then the last guy I have is is Daniel Jones, right? Maybe the Giants bench him (laughs) and go back to Eli. And they also have Alex Tanney too. They could, he's still young enough to see what he might have to offer. But yeah, we've seen it before. Eli gets benched and then he gets unbenched. Um, I want to circle back to the Winston one because I find that one kind of an interesting one. I lean more towards your point of view where 
you were with Trubisky in terms of that team just having invested so much in Winston. But if I'm also correct, they just picked up his fifth year option. So he doesn't technically, he could be released at the end of the season, if I'm correct. Sure. I guess what I mean is just in terms no, of. No, I know what you're, I'm just, I'm just wondering what his future is like. They don't have oh, much sure. invested in him going no. forward. Yeah, right. maybe not an investment thing, but more of just a, like, they don't have anybody better. Like, right. I just don't think Blaine Gabbard is, I mean, he's definitely a downgrade. Even if you think Jameis Winston is bad, Blaine Gabbard is worse. Ryan Griffin is worse. That's just the way I feel about it. No, well, yeah, they're definitely worse. But at least with Ryan Griffin, he's kind of flashed some potential in preseason. So I could see them maybe, if things get that bad, like just having him have like a three or four game audition at the end of the season. Yeah, I could see it. Let's get back to these guys who are coming up now, because while it is fun to speculate on, you know, where we might find value later, uh, and, and you know, waivers will have run for a lot of people when they hear this, so maybe they won't be able to necessarily target Rudolph or Bridgewater or whoever off the waiver wire or off the free agent pool. Uh, so, I mean, if, if you are still desperate after that's already happened, listeners, go ahead and start to speculate on these other QBs. Um, I, ne- I wouldn't necessarily drop anybody valuable to go pick up, Ryan Tannehill or Josh Rosen, but if you're the Mariota owner, maybe it is worth you know handcuffing with Tannehill or something like that. I know I'm doing that in one of my leagues where uh, I lost uh, Ben Roethlisberger. So yeah, but I want to dig back into these these guys who we know are going to become starters at least for a little while and talk about you know what we expect from them uh, going forward. And I kind of want to clear the lane for you on Gardner Minshew, Sal. This has been your boy for the the entire off season. What do you like about Minshew? Um, I don't know. What what are you kind of looking forward to with him? And do you think there's a chance that maybe he doesn't give this job back to Nick Foles at the end of the year? Well, with Doug Marone as head coach, I don't think optimal decision-making is really in his um, (laughs) wheelhouse there. So if Nick Foles is healthy, I think he probably will be the starting quarterback when he returns, unless like the Jaguars go on a undefeated streak between now and then. I think that's the only way I can see Gardner keeping the job. The thing I liked about Gardner coming into this season was that he was Nick Foles' backup. You know, even though the Jaguars um, gave up pretty much every single dollar they had to sign a quarterback who didn't seem like he had that many suitors, uh, he didn't have a strong long-term record, and just watching Gardner put up all those stats in college playing under Mike Leach and his system, you know, he had 4,800 passing yards, 30 touchdowns to only nine interceptions. He led the NS, the NCAA in pass attempts. He had 129 more than Dwayne Haskins who had the second most pass attempts. He led the NCAA in completions when he beat Dwayne Haskins in that category again by 95. Um, and his his demeanor on the field, I know you don't get fantasy points for the way you play, but you can tell that he plays with no fear. Like if they still made those no fear shirts, he'd be the <laughs> the, the the cover boy for them this year with his bandana and mustache and all that chest hair. It's like I, said, I just I love trying to find those diamonds in the rough who have potential to put up fantasy points if they get a shot and just kind of, it's kind of like hitting on the lottery, right? Knowing those one in a million long shots. Those are the type of quarterbacks I enjoy trying to figure out who it's going to be 
And this year, Gardner Minshew was the one I targeted, even though it took me forever to pronounce his last name. And we've seen it so far in the first two weeks from a fantasy standpoint. You know, he's, he's been in the QB 15 in each of the two weeks. Um, he scored uh, 17 fantasy points week one, scored 16 fantasy points week two. I think one thing you do need to um, look into when it comes to just uh, you know, stat box watching is he was helped by his 56 rushing yards in week two. But in college, he was not a rushing quarterback. So he's not one of those Konami you know, cheat codes that we like drafting or starting every week. So if you think, you know, He's going to be rushing like for 50, 60 yards every week. That wasn't really his style in college. Right. But what was his style in college was being hyper accurate. And that has translated to the NFL. He's completed 45 of 58 attempts. That's a 77.6% completion rating, uh, 244 passing yards per game, three touchdowns, one interception. He's looked good, especially considering the matchups that he's faced. I'm not really, I mean, he was up against Kansas City, I guess, which is a good matchup because he was playing catch-up, but the, at Houston in his first start, like, that's a relatively tough defense, and, you know, going on the road is never easy for a young quarterback, so I've just been really impressed by him in general. I think if I was ranking all of the guys who have kind of come into starting roles over the past week and a half, he's still at the top of my list. I can understand why somebody might want to rank Mason Rudolph higher just because we know Rudolph is going to start the whole year. But I think there's something to be said about, you know, having seen the flashes already. And and I guess I should say that Rudolph did look okay in relief of Roethlisberger in week two. But I I don't know. I I just really like accurate quarterbacks. I think that's something that is hard to trans. Like if you don't have that in college, you're probably not going to have it in the pros. I mean, that's what we've seen with Josh Allen, right? Like the accuracy is something that you have to have when you're a younger quarterback. If Minshew can string together some wins here, I am wondering if, you know, Foles gets that job back. But I I also, I don't know, they they gave Foles such a big contract. I I really (laughs) don't see it happening. But I I would ride it out, I guess is what I'm saying. is like use Minshew as much as you can for now because we know Foles is out a long time. I mean, they're saying that Foles is targeting a week 11 return, but you know how injury rehab goes. This stuff almost never happens on time for every player, especially like a collarbone injury for somebody whose job is to throw the ball. Like, I'm sorry, that's probably going to take a while before Nick Foles is feeling 100% beyond week 11. So it could be week 13, week 14 before he gets back out there. And by then... You never know. Maybe the Jaguar season is lost. And if that's the case, they might say, okay, we're just going to keep Nick Foles on the shelf. Make sure that he gets super, super healthy before we throw him back out there. And Gardner, go have fun, man. Go go tear it up. Like, that's what I'm hoping we see here. Not not that I'm rooting against Nick Foles, but like you, I'm rooting for Gardner Minshew. Yeah, and like you mentioned, his passing completion percentage, that has translated from the uh, the college game because he completed almost 71% of his passes in his last season of college, which was second in the NCAA. So it's nice to see that you know, his um, style of play is still coming from the uh, college game to the football game in that department. Um, you mentioned the, the Chiefs uh, week one matchup. Um, some people may know I do some stuff at 4 for 4 and they have this metric that's called adjusted fantasy points allowed, which is kind of like their strength of schedule when it's kind of like stripped down 
apples to apples. And when it comes to Jaguars quarterback strength of schedule, they have the sixth easiest quarterback schedule with the combined seven good or great matchups the rest of the season. And that's the second most behind the Colts with eight. And so I agree with you where I would put Gardner Minshew at the top of my quarterback waiver wire list if he's still out there in your league. Yeah, I mean, you're you're definitely a little biased here, but... Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm 100% <laughs> biased, but that just means uh, 100% of my fab would be spent on him. Yeah, and I that those adjusted uh, fantasy points allowed uh, metrics from 4 for 4. Uh, 4 for 4 wasn't the only site to say that the Jaguars had an easy strength of schedule. That was something that a lot of people were on this year, and that was a, one of the reasons why I was drafting Nick Foles a lot. Like, if you listen to the podcast I do over there at 4 for 4, I, I was talking up Foles as kind of the, the QB3 of choice uh, after you got your two starters in Superflex and two quarterback formats. And of course, you know, I, I'm bummed that I lost him in those leagues where I drafted him, but the the same excitement level I had for him and his strength of schedule translates directly to Minshew. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I think after Minshew, like I said earlier, Bridgewater was the guy I, I wanted the most uh, at first, mostly because I like that situation. You know, he's got a, a good offensive coach in Sean Payton, uh, a bunch of really good weapons there, including Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. It just seems like that's probably the best setup for success for a young quarterback. And Bridgewater mm-hmm. isn't necessarily, uh, I mean, he's definitely not a rookie. Like, he has everything he needs between the years at this point, you know, in terms of film study and all that. Like, he's been in the league a long time. The question with him is, you know, can he push the ball downfield? Can he be efficient? And, you know, on the dink and dunk stuff on Sunday, he looked fine. The problem was, is when he tried to throw the ball down the field, it didn't look great. Uh, now, I would like to attribute some of that to Rust. For Bridgewater, you know, he got forced into that game unexpectedly. Uh, maybe with a week or two of practice, he'll start to look better. But those, you know, rumors of, you know, Taysom Hill being breathing down his neck, that does concern me. And so for that reason, I think after Minshew, the, the next guy up has to be Mason Rudolph. I'm going to borrow a lot here from Anthony Amico's armchair scouting report from when Rudolph came out of college in 2018. Uh, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, you should definitely check out. All the stuff that Anthony is doing, you know, back back in the day at two QBs and what he's doing now, he's, he's one of the best analysts out there. Rudolph had a career adjusted yards per attempt of 9.9 in Oklahoma State. When he came out of college in 2018, he was one of just eight power five quarterbacks since 2000 to have at least 1,200 career attempts and a passer efficiency rating of at least 155. He had an easy schedule in college that season, according to Anthony. But he also noted that the splits uh, for when he did face good defenses didn't show much variation. So on the whole, Mason Rudolph was good against everybody, the good teams and the bad teams. Uh, Anthony also analyzed Rudolph alongside Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes from their 2017 college season, in which they shared seven common opponents. So you might be surprised by those splits. They're actually pretty... They make Mason Rudolph look pretty good. So check out the article, which is linked in the show notes, uh, and kind of dig into what we knew about Mason Rudolph coming out of college. Now, it's been you know a couple of years. Uh, we didn't know at the time that he was going to be drafted by the Steelers, but this is another pretty good offensive situation, right? The Steelers have a solid offensive line. They have a good set of weapons with Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, Vance McDonald, and Rudolph's college teammate, James Washington, who was like a Bolitnikoff winner in college, if I remember correctly. So... There's a lot of positive here for Mason Rudolph. We know he's the starter going forward because Ben Roethlisberger is out for the whole year, and the backup they just signed to, you know, maybe who could could have potentially challenged Rudolph was Paxton Lynch, but Paxton Lynch ain't challenging anybody. Like we know that he's trash. Like this is Mason Rudolph's gig for the rest of the year, and I'm kind of excited to see what he does with it. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't really know a whole lot about Mason Rudolph. I didn't follow his um, career in college. I I remember reading that article Anthony wrote. I don't remember much of it other than now that you bring it back to mind. But another um kind of two QBs along. He did some two QBs work for us. He now writes over at four for four is um Justin Edwards, and his specialty is offensive line. And headed into the preseason, his offensive line rankings had the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line ranked number one overall. You combine you combine that to the weapons that you mentioned, and also looking at Rudolph's college stats, he had a combined 16 rushing touchdowns his last two seasons, and that's always going to be something I'll focus on because I just love rushing quarterbacks so much in fantasy football because of the floor that they they bring to their game. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, speaking of rushing quarterbacks that Anthony liked coming out of college, he was one of the first people who clued me into Dak Prescott, uh, and I'll never forget that. Uh, so. I mean, Anthony knows what he's talking about when he's looking at these college prospects. And I think that if he thought that Rudolph was a little undervalued, that, that that's probably the case. Uh, and, you know, he ended up in a good spot here. I'm excited to see what he does. My main concern with Rudolph is, like, what happens to that offense now that he's under center? Do they scale it back and make it more of a James Conner, Jalen Samuels show? And I, I should note that James Conner is dealing with some sort of injury right now. On that front, like... I guess maybe this is a question for all the different quarterbacks that we're considering here, Sal. Which ones do you think are going to end up having more attempts or more volume uh, in the passing game? And maybe which ones do you think might be kind of reined in and and made into game managers? Like, I I think a Bridgewater is kind of the quintessential game manager. So he's probably at the top of that list of concern. Uh, Are there any of these other guys who you'd be worried about in that regard? I mean, I think it's a concern for every one of these quarterbacks because they all have pretty darn good running backs to play with you know yep. pittsburgh has connor uh, people like samuels the saints have kamara the jets have Le'Veon bell the giants have saquon uh, the panthers have mccaffrey so i would definitely say it's a concern um you mentioned bridgewater as the uh, kind of like quintessential game manager so he probably has a little bit of dinged off in terms of what his pass attempts could be all year uh plus you know if if he is starting every game, he still have the Taysom Hill package that uh, Sean Payton likes to bring in. So I definitely think it's a concern for each offense and every quarterback where you've talked or are going to be talking about in this podcast. Yeah, it makes sense. So let's uh, let's rank these guys rest of season. Uh, I think we both agree that Minshew is number one. I have Rudolph number two. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I can. I'll go with that one. Yeah. Oh, see, you don't sound convinced. Who, 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 uh, who do you think deserves consideration there, if not Rudolph? Hey, I mean, if he was starting from this moment on for the say next six weeks, it would be Taysom it. Hill. Yeah, it say Taysom it. Hill. But <laughs> Teddy's the one that's getting the gig. But like I said, if it was Taysom Hill as a starter, I would put him right after Garner or Rudolph. Either your preference, my preference is Taysom. For, for one thing, for me, it's always about what can this quarterback bring to my fantasy team and if we're already like these guys are backups in the nfl so there's already some some bias towards them so i'm always looking for what can they bring to my fantasy team and with Taysom hill it's his rushing potential in the the last two preseasons he's had a combined 309 rushing yards and two touchdowns this past season he had 161 rushing yards and two touchdowns the year before he had 148 uh the saints also have the second best uh, offensive line, according to Justin Edwards' offensive line rankings. We know Kamara's there, Thomas there. He just add, you no, know, Sean Payne is obviously 
in love with Taysom Hill. Like he's infatuated with them. He wants to make him a thing. Um, you know, this is like uh, the Mean Girls. You no, know, Taysom Hill is a thing according to Sean Payton, and so he would be my number two quarterback if I know that he's going to be starting the game. Like if Teddy Bridgewater gets injured this week, Taysom Hill starting next week, he would shoot up to number two on my list. But I'm okay with Rudolph because of his offense system, his offensive line, and he also has that you know Konami code appeal to him as well. Yeah, I mean, it really is close with all these guys. I think that's the the ultimate point. It's like, like I said, Rudolph has probably the best chance to start the most games for the rest of this year, but we still have Gardner Minshew ranked higher because we think, you know, the schedule is soft. Uh, they have a more, you know, offensive-minded coaching scheme in terms of, you know, throwing the ball a lot. Uh, but, you know, beyond those two, like, yeah, the Saints guys, like, that's a good setup too. I have Bridgewater third, but... I'm I'm ready to move off that ranking very quickly if you know he looks bad this week and if Taysom Hill uh, gets any additional run. Um, I have Daniel Jones fourth, uh, just yeah. ahead of Taysom Hill. Like I have Taysom Hill ahead of Luke Falk and Kyle Allen and Will Greer for what it's worth because you know even if Hill doesn't become the starter right away, we know he's still going to be involved in that offense all year as you know a rusher, a receiver, a blocker. Like what a weird player, but yeah, I think that. <laughs> I would rather pick him up than Luke Falk or Kyle Allen because we just can't assume that Falk or Allen are going to be starting for very long. But I think Daniel Jones is the most interesting one. I was talking to somebody on Twitter about this yesterday as he seems risky because the team he's on is bad. But could this be a Blake Bortles situation where because of the negative game script that he's likely to face and because of you know his abilities as a rusher, this could be a situation where maybe he's not good every week, but he could have some big weeks in there. And if those happen to line up with the bye weeks that you're on and you're, you know, quote unquote, forced into starting him, you might not end up being that poorly. You might, it might not be that bad for you. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, no. And we saw in the preseason, he was actually pretty good. He completed uh, 85% of his passes. He also has some weapons in the passing game. Evan Ingram, um, Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, if he's healthy. Golden Tate's coming back. Gold, yeah, Golden Tate's coming back. Um, I think uh, like it could be one of those situations, too, where the Giants are losing 40 to nothing, and Daniel Jones has thrown three pick sixes, but then they just have to throw the rest of the game, and he ends up throwing like three touchdowns, and you end up having an okay fantasy day from him. Like Blake Borders is a great comparison in that regard. I also have Jones ranked fourth. And I think the one thing I, – I honestly do think he's going to have the stability the rest of the year. I think the Giants have made that decision that Eli is – he's done, and they're not going to go back to him unless Jones gets injured, and they think Eli Manning is better than Alex Tanney. Yeah, no, I, I can't see them moving off of them now. Like, I, I talked about this on my 444 podcast earlier this week, but, I mean, Daniel Jones probably should have been the starter in week one. Yeah. Putting him in now maybe helps him a little bit, like just a little bit more seasoning of seeing how the actual, you know, first two weeks played out, you know, what the the real NFL game is like, I guess, from the sidelines before you throw him in there into the fire. But, I don't know, like him... And even Dwayne Haskins in Washington, like I, sometimes I don't want, I wonder what these franchises are waiting for. Like <laughs> if you know, you're not going to win this year, like you got to get these guys reps because we saw it, we see it with all the, the quarterbacks who are entrenched starters. They don't get time in the preseason anymore. And, and the preseason is almost irrelevant anyway. Like you mentioned Jones preseason stats and yeah, those are great. But the fact of the matter is, is that those are coming against, you know, f- fake defenses, uh, you know, the fake schemes, not 
what he was he's going to be facing in you know actual NFL competition. And so we'll see if there's an adjustment period. I'm assuming there's going to be, but just from like a a general management standpoint of an NFL franchise, like if you know you're not winning and you have, you know, you just drafted a guy to be the future of your franchise at quarterback, like it's my opinion that you got to get those guys in there sooner rather than later. And so I I am glad that the Giants didn't wait too much longer to get Jones in there. Uh, I think when I was talking to Josh ADHD earlier this week, we speculated that they, at this point, they almost might as well wait until after the Minnesota game, after the New England game, and throw Jones in there against the Cardinals. But, I mean, it really does just make the most sense to get all these guys in their ASAP. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, after Jones, uh, I had Hill fifth, and then six, seven, eight, I have Luke Falk, Kyle Allen, Will Greer, and... Luke Falk, just because we know he's starting at least a couple games, uh, and Kyle Allen, just as the speculative, maybe he starts this week, and if Newton's injuries are worse than they might appear, or the, worse than are being reported, uh, maybe Allen gets additional starts. Will Greer, just because we don't know if Kyle Allen is good, but honestly, like if you're talking to me about Kyle Allen and Will Greer versus some of those you know, speculative pickups uh, you could make, uh, like Tannehill, like Josh Rosen, uh, like Dwayne Haskins, I think I might rather just go with the speculative guys who I think are going to become the starters and stay the starters. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and I think this comes down to it again is like roster construction game theory. You know, if you have Cam Newton, yeah, grab Kyle Allen because that way at least you know which Panthers quarterback to start. But if you don't really need a, a quarterback this week or in the next couple of weeks, yeah, look ahead to see who you think might end up getting a, a starting quarterback job and you might end up getting the next Nick Mullins. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else on these uh, backup QBs that we've been talking about most of the show, Sal? Uh, we had a couple listener questions from Twitter. No, um, I just I wanted to mention the Jets for a second because Sam Darnold said he's targeting a Week Five return date. Um, I don't know I've never had mono before. My best friend said he had mono and it took him like a year to recover from oh, wow. it. But he's also not a, a world class world class athlete. And the Jets, no, this will be Week Three and it's going to be the third different starting quarterback. So I had a, a plan of action for the Jets and that they should just have a different starting quarterback every week of the season. Oh, I like that. So who else can we get in there? Well, I, well, here I already came up with my 17 <laughs> quarterbacks for the New York Jets' of course 2019 you did. season. So we have Sam Darnold. We had Trevor Simeon, Luke Falk. Then next week they come up with Peter Falk. And then Ray Lucas, Jay Cutler, Kyle Orton, Tyler Thigpen, Vinny Testaverde, Vincent Testaverde Jr., Tim Tebow, Rex Grossman, Char- Charlie Whitehurst, Kevin Hogan, Kurt Warner, Tony Romo, and Chad Pennington. You put that on a a, a marquee, I'm buying season tickets. I like it. I like how you got Peter Falk in there, the, the famous Columbo. Is he still alive? I hope so, because Peter Falk's the, the best. Um, don't make me sad and have to look up that he died. Sorry. I mean, we could get zombie Columbo out there and, and just see how it goes. I mean, he'd probably be just as good as Luke Falk. All right. Well, he died in 2011. Sorry to make you sad, Sal. I mean, he could still be a pretty good quarterback for the Jets. I've no, they've trotted out worse, haven't they, over the years? What I, as you were listing off all those guys, the first place my brain went was how long until they catch up to that string of uh, quarterbacks that the Browns had? You know what I mean? Oh, Have God. you seen that jersey with all the oh, names yeah. on the back? I mean, the jersey that everyone thought that Baker Mayfield would end, but <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure there's some Brown fans out there just ready to put on the next name on that list. 
I hope not. I mean, Baker hasn't been great these first two weeks, but I think that's another situation where there's a little bit of rust. His offensive line is not very good, and I think he's a good player. He'll be fine. Uh, we just need to give him a little bit more time, but we'll see. I mean, maybe he is, uh, you know, a little overwhelmed based upon the pressure he's seeing, and uh, I don't know. Uh, perhaps he's not as good as we all thought. It's it's possible. Um, one thing I want to mention before we get to the uh, listener questions is I know there's a lot of names we've mentioned, uh, a lot of backup quarterbacks. A lot of people might be afraid of picking up like a Kyle Allen and starting for one week. So I went uh, just the past few years to see some, uh, you know, names that you wouldn't think of as uh, fantasy quarterback ones. And these are some names I picked out from the last three years who finished the the week they played as a top 12 fantasy scoring quarterback. We got CJ Beathart, Nick Mullins, Kyle Allen, Kevin Hogan, TJ Yates, David Fales, Matt Barkley, and XFL superstar Landry Jones. Love it. I'm surprised Brock Osweiler didn't make that list. Oh, he did. I just didn't want to say his name. <laughs> I, this is the best part about two-quarterback football, isn't it? Or fantasy football. We, yeah. we just get to talk about all these ridiculous quarterbacks who have such short runs. But the best part is that you get to tell stories about how you beat people with these guys. You know what I mean? Like, I, I won a matchup with Brock Osweiler. I won a matchup with Kyle Allen. Like, th- this, is, this is where, you know, the glory is built. But Greg, I made a top 10 fantasy quarterback rankings post in May where I ranked Gardner Minshew 10th as a joke. Too low. And now he's actually starting. Yeah, I can't believe you were too low on him with that ranking. I know, it's it's crazy. All right, let's get to these listener questions. And the first is from our old friend Pete Aquaviva, at PD Aquaviva on Twitter. And this has nothing to do with football, but I might have to take like a very analytical approach <laughs> to this question. He says, chips or pretzels? What is the better salty snack? And at first, I just got to say, there's so many different types of chips and pretzels that I, I don't really know what I'm comparing to what here. Oh, well, I'm going to go completely contrarian off the board and say neither because I have sworn off all salty snacks. Um, if you want a good snack to munch on during the football games when Gardner's throwing a touchdown to DJ Chark, you get the roasted unsalted peanuts roasted unsalted peanuts yeah i'm more of an almond guy than a peanut guy but i i like i like a good roasted nut that is for sure uh but to answer this question i i i'm gonna qualify it a little bit so in general i think a chip is more versatile you can dip a chip there are more flavors and varieties of chips like you can get potato chips you can get uh veggie chips you can get tortilla chips uh, and pretzels, while they're, I mean, maybe you get like a honey wheat pretzel or a soft pretzel or, a, you know, a pretzel rod, a pretzel stick, uh, all these different types of pretzels. The, the general premise is the same. It's like that kind of bready, salted snack, right? Whereas I think chip can come in more flavors. Uh, if you ask me to rank like plain potato chips versus plain pretzels, I would go with pretzels. But I think that because chips offer so many more varieties, uh, that's where I would go. And if I had to pick one specifically, either uh, like an onion or a barbecue potato chip or a tortilla chip with salsa or guacamole. I mean, if I did have to recommend a bag of chips, there's this uh, company. I don't know how to pronounce the name. It's either Paqui or Paqui. If you heard of the One Chip Challenge, um, they make a haunted ghost pepper tortilla chip. Have you had it before? I attempted the one chip challenge in a when I was in a bad mental state one day. 
and I took just one tiny bite of the corner, and I was almost rushed to the hospital with just tears coming down my eyes, just beet red, basically scared everybody in my house. Okay, so don't eat those chips, <laughs> listeners. Uh, that is a bad idea. Uh, let's move on to the next question. This one comes from Andy at Drewby17 on Twitter. He says, in a super flex league, do you blow your waiver to get your fourth quarterback when they come available? Someone like Teddy Bridgewater, Mason Rudolph, Daniel Jones, etc. Or do you just do you do that just to get the value? Or do you take shots on other positions? And this is a really complicated question to unpack. I, I think it really has to do with what your league is like and which type of player you would be dropping. Like, I actually think there is a lot of value in going after that fourth quarterback sometimes because, one, it can give you trade leverage, and two, if one of your starters does get hurt, then you still have a backup. Uh, but I don't want to drop anybody good to do that necessarily, right? Right, yeah. It depends who your three quarterbacks are. If you have three starting quarterbacks and you don't need that fourth quarterback, one, you're just wasting your fab money that you could use later on on a position of need. And two is like, well, who do you drop to get that player? Are you going to drop someone who you might need to start later on? The only the benefit, like you said, is you know, in certain leagues, quarterbacks can fetch a pretty penny in Superflex or two quarterback leagues. But you also have to find a willing trade partner. And if you have this fourth quarterback on your bench that you're not using, it's just taking up you know, valuable roster space on your bench. So the Scott Fishbowl is actually a perfect example of this. Uh, last week, I did add Gardner Minshew when I already had three quarterbacks. I had Dak Prescott, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Ben Roethlisberger. Then Ben, ben Roethlisberger gets hurt over the weekend, and now I still have three quarterbacks. So I, I, that's kind of the perfect illustration of when this can go right and how you know I, I got pretty lucky here. But with that said, I spent so much of my fab on him that there's probably no way I'm going to be able to get Mason Rudolph this week or uh, some other backup quarterback, even Bridgewater. I think Bridgewater's already owned, but you know what I mean? Like, if you end up making that move for the quarterback and then something else happens uh, where you, you kind of want that fab back, that fab isn't coming back, right? <laughs> that fab is gone. Yeah. And like I said, I, I'm a good example, too, in the Scott Fishbowl. I have four quarterbacks. I'm not dropping my fourth quarterback because I'm a sentimental fool, but if you're a smart fantasy player, you wouldn't do what I'm doing because that's just clogging up a, you know, I could, I honestly could use another player at receiver or running back at tight end, but I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to be dropping that fourth quarterback. Yeah. And I mean, the Scott Fishbowl is a different animal because the rosters are so deep. I think it's 22 man rosters. So, I mean, you start a lot of players, but you do still have a pretty deep bench. Whereas I think a lot of more traditional fantasy leagues, like if you play on Yahoo or ESPN or CBS, you might have five to seven bench spots to play with. And if you're on the shorter end of that scale, it becomes a lot harder to carry extra QBs, like beyond the third one, because at that point you're hampering your ability to be flexible at running back and at wide receiver and at tight end. So it really does depend a lot on the construction of your league and the needs of your roster. But I think it does make sense sometimes. I mean, this is kind of a cop-out answer, but uh, occasionally I, I will go after that fourth QB, even if I don't necessarily you know, need that player, quote-unquote. I mean, well, hopefully we answered your, uh, your, your question. Was it Drewby? Uh, D-R-O-O-B-I-E-17. So D-Ruby-17, Drewby, Dro-Obi. Twitter handles are the worst. <laughs> All right, Sal, uh, I think that's all I got. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on here? It doesn't even have to be fantasy if you don't want to. We got, you've, you've got a movie podcast down with Denny Carter. Maybe you want to plug that? Yeah, it's called uh, The uh, Takeoff, T A 
EK slash OFF, kind of a play on the face-off poster, uh, which I don't know why they're rebooting that movie, but they are. They uh, are? The, they are. Oh, they are. No. I know. I mean, it's pretty crazy. I think, honestly, if they're going to reboot it, they should just do it with John Travolta and Nick Cage and maybe just swap their roles. I'm in for that. Okay. Here's here's the thing, like, Nick Cage gets pretty much all of the pub- publicity, right, of being, like, this crazy actor and these crazy roles. Like, you see a Nick Cage movie post, like, well, I'm going to watch it because it's probably going to be a batshit crazy movie. But And then John Travolta, he was the one that went on to, the like, no, that, that more dignified career is, you know, Pulp Fiction brought it back, and you just think of John Travolta, and you think of all the movies he made, but if you go and you compare their resumes now, John Travolta is pretty much like a video-on-demand superstar, and his latest movie, I'm trying to remember what it's called, but if you look at the poster, he's got like a really short-haired mullet with these like really thick grandpa glasses. It's directed by Fred Durst. Like I think John Travolta's kind of caught up to Nick Cage in the no the this movie looks so bad it it could be watchable phase of their careers. I think it might have just been a narrative thing the whole time. I think he might have been you know on par with Cage the whole time. I mean, Broken Arrow, Swordfish, Battlefield Earth. <laughs> Travolta has his own spotty resume in terms of you know odd career choices in movies. Yeah, no, de- definitely. I just think um, he's. He's gotten a, a good rap when he should have probably gotten a bad rap. Oh, yeah. I I, I mean, I, I, I don't think there is such a thing as a bad rap. Like, I, I enjoy movies that uh, other oh, people yeah. do not, and I know you do as well. Like, yeah, we have a whole podcast where all we do is talk about mad, bad movies and give our worst takes. Yeah. I am really sick of the, like, the reboot and the sequel culture that has kind of infected uh, Hollywood. Like, the fact that nothing can... Like, very very little stands on its own anymore. You're not going to see very many new stories come out. Like, everything's either a reboot of something that already existed, a sequel to something that already existed, or something that's based on a book that someone wrote or a comic book. Like, there aren't that many just straight original ideas that come to movies anymore, and I think that that's very sad. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. But having said that, I actually did get the chance to see a really good original movie. It's called The Peanut Butter Falcon. Mm-hmm. I think I, I mentioned this movie to you once before. Yes. It, uh, it stars Shea LaBeouf. The Beef. The, the, the Beefster. Canada's own Shea LaBeef. <laughs> uh, so the the film is about there's this uh, this man he has Down syndrome the I guess the ward or the state didn't really know what to do with them so they put him in a retirement home and I think it might be like 20 or 30 years old in the movie and all he wants to do with his life is become a professional wrestler he has like this old worn down VHS tape that he just watches over and over and over again of this wrestler played by uh, Thomas Hayden Church called the Sweetwater Redneck, I believe. And so his he's always trying to find ways to escape the old folks home. And one day he does, and he's running away. He meets up with Shia LaBeouf, who has his own troubles in life. And they decide, after some back and forth, to that Shia LaBeouf is going to escort Zach, the, that's the name of the character, to the wrestling school. And it was like a very heartwarming, heartfelt film. And I hadn't seen something like that in a while. That's cool. I'll have to check that out. I haven't been able to make it to the theater in, in quite a long time, but uh, yeah, I, I'll definitely have to, to give that one a watch one of these days. Probably when it gets to video, but I'll, I'll be sure to check that out. That's a good recommendation. Um, 
I don't know. What else is on your mind, Sal? Anything else? No, not really. I'm a big um, NXT fan. They have their two-hour live debut on the USA Network. So if anybody else there is an NXT fan, let's go NXT. Is that wrestling? That is. It's WWE. It's kind of like, I don't know, like you'd say maybe like their indie equivalent. Like maybe like say MILB to MLB. So they are affiliated in some way? Yeah. They were always considered their developmental brand, but it has like the better storylines, better wrestlers, uh, more athletic. It, it made me become a wrestling fan again. That's cool. Yeah, I haven't watched wrestling since I think I was in high school. It, it was more of a, a soap opera thing for me. For, it was kind of like watching reality TV back in the day, and I had never really got back into it. There just isn't enough time in the day you know, with all these, these fantasy takes we got to get out there. So. <laughs> No, that's definitely true. Um, the other thing, I do have a uh, promo code for anybody out there listening for 444.com. Uh, you go to their website, you click on the uh, Wide Join tab in the right-hand corner, use the promo code Alex Smith, one word, and it gets you a whopping 25% off any subscription of your choosing. I kind of want the Alex Smith code to give 11% off, but 25 is definitely a better deal. So I think listeners should uh, should take advantage of that if they can. But other than that, that pretty much um, wraps it up for me. Yeah, that does it for me too. Uh, listeners, you can follow me as always at Greg Sauce on Twitter. Uh, I am doing work on the most accurate podcast over at 444.com. So uh, subscribe to that if you wouldn't mind. Uh, give us a rating and review over there. That'd be great. Uh, I do think... I'm going to be coming back with more episodes on this feed. I don't know if Sal will always be joining me, uh, but I have some ideas for uh, other things to add to Rotosauce slash the 2QB experience. And yeah, look forward to that. Uh, I think it'll be sporadic, but I'm, I'm definitely not going to let this go away. I mean, we're, we're paying for the podcast hosting. We might as well put some content <laughs> up there. Uh, Sal, why don't you let folks know where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, the number two QBFFB. And as long as there's Gardner, Minshew, and Taysom Hill talk every week, I'll probably join you. I love it. That sounds great. Um, Anyway, thanks again for listening, everybody. Uh, We will catch you next time, whenever that may be. Adios. Adios.